0: and Prevent Freight Damage with Ilya Preston. Welcome, Ilya. Thanks for having me, Joe. Thank you so much. So this is going to be a good topic. Everyone hates freight damage, of course. So this is someone like you who can predict it and prevent it is a good thing. So
1: before we go any further, Ilya, please introduce yourself and your company. Yeah, so great to be here. Ilya Preston I co-founded PackSafe, where we predict adverse events through the B2B supply chain and enable intelligent cargo insurance. We started the company, my, I'm a co-founder in the company. We started the company about two years back. But prior to that, I actually immigrated to the U.S. from St. Petersburg, Russia, when I was about five. So I grew up kind of not speaking Spanglish, but more of like a Runglish and uh, ended up missing <laughs> mixing a lot of my languages around. Are your mom and dad both from Russia? They are. Yeah, they're both Russian. So did you speak Russian as your first language? I guess technically I did. But that's where, you know, I when I was learning English, I was actually learning English back in Russia when I was like three or four. And so I came over here and my language was just incredibly jumbled up. I mean, I'd, I'd speak like half English, half Russian, and it was just a mess. But hopefully I was able to straighten it out by now. So do your mom and dad still speak Russian? We mostly speak English with each other, where it's been valuable because my grandparents, who came over around the same time that we did, they didn't really pick up the English as quickly. So growing up, that was probably the predominant reason why my sister and I have been able to retain the language. How did you guys end up in Indiana? So my my dad actually accepted a role at Cummins. That's where he worked and grew up in Indiana. Uh, I went to school in Indiana, so uh, went to school at IU and then finished out at a uh, smaller private school, University of Indianapolis, and then also ended up started working at Cummins as well. Oh, nice. Nice. So what was your first job out of school? Yeah. So first job, gosh. feels feels so long ago, global supply chain analyst at Cummins. So started off in in supply chain, ended up growing throughout the organization. I I moved into supply chain strategy and more of like a strategic sourcing and uh, spent about uh, four years at Cummins where I ended up actually I think as a part of my last project, I was setting up a supply chain in Mexico. So I was traveling to Mexico about once a month for about a year. So I was able to pick up some Spanish there along the way, add some more complexity to my life. And yeah, after that great stint at Cummins, I moved on, spent some time in management consulting. Which company? PwC and KPMG. Uh, so nice. spent some time doing consulting there. Yeah, mostly, once again, focused around supply chain optimization. And one of the things I was able to see in consulting was I I was expecting to go from a manufacturing environment to now consulting for healthcare, technology companies. I was expecting to see a, a drastic difference in those supply chains and a lot of those pain points. But the key takeaway over my time in consulting was In some cases, the manufacturing supply chain is actually much more evolved than than even in healthcare. (laughs) But a lot of resounding and recurring issues and pain points that exist amongst all of those. Well, the the nice thing, I'm from automotive,
0: and one of the things that's nice about automotive is you're always delivering to the same places. So you pick up at the same location, and there's a trucking company here in Michigan that I knew of that they said we've had That lane for 60 years. It was picking up at a factory and taking to General Motors. So they're like, and after a while, you're like, the driver knows the guys at the dock, and it just starts to be a well oiled machine. And also, you're delivering and picking up at professional locations, professional docks, which is a big (laughs) difference. But (laughs) 100% got to love those milk runs. Right, (laughs) right, right. (laughs) So somewhere along the line, you must have noticed there is a damage problem. Is that why you? and your partner decided to start PackSafe? Absolutely, yeah.
1: Visibility and damage. But then we, we kind of honed in around the problem and got a firmer grasp on it and really understood that a lot of that problem as it pertains to this lack of visibility and, and the prevalent damage that exists through the supply chain is really not caused due to a lack of data, at least not today, maybe five, six, seven years ago it, it was the case, uh, but it's more so now it, you really have an overabundance of data, but that data is not product level, right? It's, it's at the track, it's not at the product, and it's not really actionable or contextual. So it's somewhat difficult to piece a lot of those puzzle pieces. When you say contextual,
0: like you don't know the details behind it. It's there's no context. It's just that's damaged. And you know, when we were prepping for this, I mentioned I've always felt like. So I heard a football commentator say, "The biggest play in uh, American football is the sack," and because you see how fired up the defense gets and how it kind of demoralizing it is for the offense when there's a few big sacks uh, in short order. It changes the game and freight damage or freight loss is the sack of the supply chain <laughs> as a way of just, you can have a thousand good shipments, but when you damage something and you decide to make a customer
1: unhappy and maybe even lose that customer, that's awful. I mean, it just ruins it. And I mean, think of it from the insurance point of view, right? A few big sacks and, in the month of January, and your loss ratios are screwed. Same thing with the customer, especially if it's happening from the shipper point of view, if it's happening to the same account or the same customer, that's going to kill your KPIs up front. But you actually, you mentioned the football analogy. The analogy I typically uh, like to go to is, I'm in pain and I need to go to a doctor analogy, right? Where you come to the doctor and you say, I'm in pain, and, and maybe you have some idea of what's bothering you. Maybe you kind of know a little bit about where the pain is, and, and you can share that information, but the doctor, without doing further diagnosis, they can't tell you if you need a surgery, or if you need pain meds, or if you need bed rest, right? But the point there is, they have to go through this uh, very manual process of of doing the blood work, and doing all these follow-up tests, and trying to figure out what's wrong. And only then can they make kind of a a semi-educated guess, what actually happens. And then, of course, they have to share that information with the insurance providers, and and that affects kind of that whole risk profile of the patient. If you take that analogy and apply it to freight, what's happening today is essentially you're going to the doctor, you realize that there's a pain or there's damage, and that's really the extent. At that point, you just know that issue has occurred. You might know when or where it happened, but you really don't know how or why. Well, so we were talking about this uh, when we were prepping. And
0: we'll use maybe a, a long shipment. So if something, a, a product originates somewhere in, in China, which is common these days, obviously. So something is manufactured in China, and then it gets loaded onto a truck and driven to a port. And then it's loaded onto a boat at some point. Probably was moved a few times at the port. Then it gets loaded onto a boat. Then it gets over here, unload, moved around a lot at the port, then finally taken to a warehouse Uh, At some point, the warehouse says, ship this from L.A. to New York or Chicago or Florida, and it's a long way. You're like, you know, you could be six or seven weeks from the factory easily, right? Then the customer finds out, hey, there's damage here. And you go, okay, now the uh, witch hunt begins. I don't know where this happened. It could have happened at the port in China. They might have loaded it. Yeah, there's the he said, she said, right? Right. And nobody wants to take the blame. Nobody really even has to take the blame. I mean, somebody say, Ilya, you guys dropped it at the the warehouse. You're like, you can't prove that. (laughs) And that's the problem. And so, what we all kind of, in a way, don't have to take responsibility for it. Somebody ultimately, the supply chain has to fix this, but nobody internally has to say, that was my fault. Best case scenario, I know when and where it happens, and I might be surmising something. But I really don't know. And so, so that's the problem. And you never get to the place where you go, for sure, I know it happened this way. For sure, I know it happens this way, unless you see a, a forklift, uh, <laughs> forklift right, right through the bottom of the box. You usually can't tell what happened. And that's the
1: problem. So it never really has to get better because no one has to take responsibility. Exactly. There's really two dimensions to this problem one is the diagnosis right? How do you actually get to a granular, accurate diagnosis that's actually going to tell you or paint a holistic picture as to this is what happened with a high degree of confidence. And then how do we also automate that process? So that's number one. Number two is how do we put the necessary controls in place to mitigate this from happening over and over again without doing one accurately? Right. Without getting to an accurate diagnosis, there's really no effective way to do two. And that's what we see a lot of technology providers actually trying to do today is everybody's trying to do prediction. Uh, Of course, that's going to add a lot of value, but you can't accurately predict when something is going to happen or when or where or under which conditions is it going to happen if you don't have the full understanding of what's actually happening historically. Right.
0: So let me go back to my China factory to my Florida shipment. So if I was to, I know you make sensors and I'm sure other people make sensors too, but we are talking to Ilya. If
1: I took one of your sensors, I would put that
0: where on a pallet or in a parcel?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's case specific, but most of the time it's going to go in the parcel or on the pallet. Exactly. Are these sensors inexpensive enough that I can load them and ship them like that? Okay. So I'm-, I'm, I'm
0: so, so you're shaking your head, yes, which is good for a video. But
1: <laughs> sorry, yes, I, I, I thought I answered. Maybe I whispered it to myself. Yeah, yes, yeah.
0: So I take one of your sensors and I put it in there, and now it ships from China, goes from the factory to the port. Again, it's handled, it's put in the boat, and then it's moved over, handled again at the port, put in a warehouse. Finally, shipped for three or four days, maybe even rail over to Florida, and they open up and they say damage. Thanks, Ilya. Now I have damage and there's your sensor. So now you can tell me when and where it happened, but I still have a angry customer. I still have a sack.
1: <laughs> well, and I think that's where the value of the sensors come in, right? I mean, yes, there are sensors that are already available on the market. They're providing this information real time, but it's not really contextualized. You don't actually know what extent, what likelihood there's actual damage there. In this particular case, if you experience, and we've got machine learning models in place and intelligence models in place that can actually, that have specific profiles for specific products. So if you have, uh, say, a piece of uh, jewelry that's being shipped and it goes through a drop at six Gs, well, we can say with 90% accuracy or certainty that that piece of jewelry is going to need to be replaced. So in this case, when I was just talking about
0: the, the, with the sensor, I facetiously said you didn't give it any value for my sensor. But you can tell me now, which has been the age old problem, where it most likely happened, when it most likely happened. Right. So you could say, Joe, that was damaged at the warehouse in LA. And the reason I know it is because it seems if it was dropped from 12 feet up. So we think it was dropped from a shelf when they were unloading it onto the forklift, right? So you've added a lot of value right there because now I know when and where. So I can say, look, I got to do something better in that warehouse because we've had a lot of damage. And especially if you start to see lots of damage that way. It seems like we're, or you might say, hey, I found out that it got this big G-force hit in the truck. Maybe there was a spike stop, right? Maybe this guy slammed on the brakes and whammo. Or you could, could you even tell me if I was stacked high in a truck and it fell
1: off and I shouldn't have been stacked high? Could you tell me that? Exactly. So that's the level of granularity that you really need, right? Today, you have sensors that when they come in, You can see that this particular sensor, this package experienced a shock event. And maybe you can see where it happened and maybe you can see what force, but it can't diagnose how or why that particular shock occurred. For example, was somebody carrying it and did they drop the package? Did the truck swerve and hit a pothole and and the package tilted over on one of its axes? Did a forklift pick it up too forcefully? Or to your point, did it fall from 12 feet you know, in the warehouse? That's the level of granularity. I mean, at the end of the day, the insight that you need to diagnose the problem properly and then use that data to structure accurate prediction models moving forward. So you use the term contextualize, even though I always feel like I don't, I kind of know what it means.
0: But what you're getting at when you say contextualize is I can tell you when that damage occurred. I can tell it happened on this date at this time, right? So it records an actual Time that happened at 10 o'clock in the morning. And it you can tell me this dropped in this factory, you know, 12 feet high, or not factory, the warehouse. And you can so you give me the when and the where, which is fantastic. So now I can go make adjustments. But when you say contextualized, you mean beyond that. You mean how and why it
1: happened. So speak to that. Yeah. So there's really two parts to it, right? The first part is I think what you just hit on. It's the actual classification and data labeling right? So using machine learning and and various other intelligence tools to label data at its utmost, most granular level. And then you use the output of that to contextualize the data. And when we say contextualize, we mean build cause and effect relationships between individual sensor data points, between those sensor data points and Third-party data, like traffic, like weather, like geocoded information as to whether it's traveling, and if it's traveling at what speed, or is it in a warehouse, right? Or is it on the tarmac? And taking all of those data points holistically, all at once. Running them through our models and then figuring out when and where these types of events are likely to happen in the future. So,
0: could you at some point say, for whatever reason, freight that goes on I 94 between Chicago and Detroit is more likely to be damaged than stuff?
1: Going at I-96 between the 100%. Yeah. So optimization with regards to specific lanes, with modes of transportation, with carriers, right? Specific carriers and, and, and helping gauge that carrier performance days of the week. Even, I mean, we, we can tell you shipments going through the Memphis distribution center on a Monday afternoon versus a Thursday evening. I can tell you from start scan to end scan what that lead time is. And it's very different. And of course, that impacts the downstream supply chain, right? If we know this package is going to arrive at the Memphis Distribution Center on a Thursday night and it takes an hour and 15 minutes to get through, but the next flight leaves, which we also know, we know what route it's going to take and what flight it's going to take. If we know that flight's leaving in 45, well, we can tell you with a fairly high degree of certainty that package is not going to be on that flight. Right. So you can give me, again, the when, the where, and then beyond that,
0: The sensor gives me when and where it happened, but that's only after the fact, right? I shouldn't say after the fact. You can give it to me in real time, but it already happened, right? And then you give me the how and the why, which is useful so we stop it from happening. But what's also interesting to me is we mentioned getting back to that China shipment to Florida. If you said to somebody, hey, there's an 80% chance that it got damaged getting loaded on the boat, I could order another one right now. I mean, you can give them that data that there is an 80% chance that when that thing dropped into the boat, that it was damaged.
1: The biggest thing here is raising customer service levels, right? If you're a shipper and you can come to the customer, and really, you don't even have to come to the customer because the customer is going to get that same alert, right? If you know that for this particular product, there's an 80% chance that's damaged, You now provide that option to the customer to say, hey, you know what? We're going to have a line down situation if you don't ship another one out. So go ahead and do it. You improve your customer service. So in this case, when it was loaded at the port, that's like five,
0: six weeks before it gets to the customer. So if I knew right when it got loaded at the port that something got damaged, I order another one right away. And maybe I can even intercept that and say, hey, intercept that one, open up the box. Let's see if it was in fact damaged. And if it wasn't, that's fine. But if it was, I prevented it from going to a customer, which is what we all want to do.
1: Exactly. And you, you extend that option to the customer that if it's an urgent situation, you can place another order or they can come back and say, hey, you know what, we've got plenty of inventory. Just hold off on the next one. We'll take our chances. But either way, that customer is now informed and empowered to make the decision. And they're much happier with you as the shipper or or the logistics carrier. Right, right. And, you know, you think we're in the COVID era and we're shipping all of
0: this vaccine. It would be nice to be able to kind of say, look, I know where that stuff's at. And I know um, ahead of time, I know somewhere, I forgot, somewhere in the United States, I heard that the vaccine was coming to an expiration date, and they said, the hell with it. We're just going to give everyone who wants a shot a shot right now. And it was like, oh, it would be nice if you could have a little better information on that shipment. So we've talked about this China shipment. What about like temperature sensors?
1: Yeah, so if you look at the, the industry today, I mean, particularly healthcare. Let's look at healthcare. It's not abnormal. It's fairly status quo to have passive temperature data loggers as a part of your shipment. So so they collect data, that's all they collect, no intelligence, no location, no nothing else. They come in, right, to the destination to the site or to the to the customer. The customer actually has to download the data from the data logger onto a computer. They have to go back and manually analyze that data. They have to check if it went out of spec and if so for how long and does it match up with the product parameters. And then they have to export that and basically document it. And it's unreal, the amount of work. I think the FDA requires that on
0: a lot of food. And I'm assuming they require the same on drugs. So you can say, oh, here is four hours ago when that truck was driving down the road is when the temperature went too high. Yeah, this stuff's all bad. <laughs> <laughs> so it's
1: very reactive. There's nothing I can do about it. It's all rear view mirror stuff, right? 100% rear view mirror that I mean, so that's where the evolution has started. So over the last few years, there have been additional sensors that have entered the market that can essentially communicate in a near real time or real time fashion. So they can help you make that intervention. But the key here is, again, how much of the diagnosis are you actually able to get right? And how much are you able to automate? So you can tell you can notify the shipper, the pharma company, the sponsor, or the site, the clinical site, the patient, hey, there's a temperature excursion, but you still don't know what's causing it. So when you say temperature excursion, you
0: mean it goes out of spec. It's supposed to stay between 35 and 45, and it went to 46. Or can you tell them when it's going from, let's just say it was at 41 for most of the trip, and then it went to 42, 43, 44. Can you tell them
1: before it hits 45? Yeah. So that's the prescription side of it. And that's something that we're actually actively working on right now, a full prescription engine. But what we can tell you more importantly at this point is, hey, your package is out of spec and here's why. It's because it's sitting in the sunlight and it has been for the last two hours, or it's sitting too far away from the vent in the reefer or the refrigerator door is open, right? But we can automate that diagnosis to where the logistics manager, the supply chain, they don't have to pick up the phone and scramble and see, hey, what's going on with this? They get that automatically. And then the next natural progression is, of course, to your point, how far in advance can we start to see those build out those patterns and trends to see, hey, if nothing changes with this shipment profile in the next 90 minutes, this package is likely to experience an excursion.
0: So, with AI, I need lots of data and I need lots of computing power, right? So, I need to be able to say, Hey, here, I'm, I'm going to crunch through a million instances and I've got the data to do it. And I've got this algorithm that's going to do it for me. Let's just say I start working with a company like yours. I don't have a million data points. Yeah, I know you can still help me along the way here. if There's all these other advantages, but what do I do? Maybe I'll never get to a million. Maybe I'll only do one like 50, 50 shipments a month. It's going to be a long time before I get enough data that I can that you can crunch for me. How, how can you help me get my data, make better data so I can have those
1: predictions? For starters, I think one of the common misconceptions is you need a ton of data to get it right. You do need a ton of data to optimize the models, sure. To optimize and get it to, let's say, from 90 2% accurate to 95%, that last X%. That's very true, but I, I think what what a lot of providers right now are missing is they're going through all this data aggregation, hey, we're going to bring in new data sources, and that alone is going to get us to prediction. That's not the case. You have to build in intelligence tools, intelligence protocols to properly label and, and classify the data. And in our case, it's a machine learning engine that actually labels that data. The key here is to prevent garbage in, garbage out. So you, you bring in clean data that's already granular and accurate, and that's going to get you to a more accurate prediction. So that's part one, is really focusing on the quality of the data and making sure that it's, it's fully labeled and fully classified and scrubbed the way that it needs to be. But the second part is, I think, the optimization piece, which is if we can get to 80 or 90% accuracy with even just those low volume of shipments and then over the next six to 12 months work our way towards 95%, 98%, I think that typically works because it's so much better than what customers have as the status quo. Well, again,
0: right now we have this entire process, let's just say the China shipment to Florida. I don't know where it happened in the first trucking company, at the warehouse, at the port on the boat, unloading on the boat, port. There's this long process, and I don't know who's responsible. If you could just give me that when and where, that's a huge step up. That's better than what we have right now. And then if you can go a little further and say, we think it, we know how because of, it was dropped from 7 feet or 12 feet. So we think it's a forklift,
1: unless somebody was lifting that pallet over their head. <laughs> right? so, so now, Joe, take that one step further and think about the effect from the cargo insurance point of view. Right. Cargo insurers, the loss ratios in that industry, it's they haven't been good over the last six or seven years. It's incredibly difficult to price shipment risk. And when you think about why it goes back to the same issue. Right. When a claim is filed, those poor claims adjusters have to go out to the shipper, to the to the receiver, to the carrier. And this is what they hear all day long. Right, right. They get the he said she
0: said. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I had many years ago when I was still managing freight, uh, less than truckload shipment flip over, I should say. It was an accident. Thank God no one was hurt. But I got a call from the LTL carrier saying, Hey, by the way, our truck flipped over with your auto parts. And my customer received them the next like a few days later. And they said, uh, yeah, we can't use these parts. They were they were instrument panels. And I was like, Why not? And then uh, they said, well, because they flipped over. And then the carrier came out and said, hey, we checked those out, and there's no damage. I mean, the boxes more or less didn't get damaged, nothing happened. But my customer said, look, we we go back to, and it was for Nissan, we go back to Nissan and say, hey, these flipped over, and potentially some of the electronics were screwed up, but we're going to put it in the car anyway. They say, no, you're not putting it in the car. And what's interesting about that is, The LTL carrier was open and honest, told us what happened. But what if they didn't? In most cases, you go, hey, the box isn't damaged, no harm, no foul. Put it back on the pallets, right? Get it back in there. Hallelujah.
1: I dodged a bullet. (laughs) Yeah, and if you're shipping cosmetics, maybe that's not a big issue. But if you're shipping something that's impacting, potentially impacting human lives, food, pharma, in your case, a car, right, a whole component to a car, those are life or death mistakes at some point. Yeah, and this is about
0: the temperature excursion. I heard, and I said this on one of my recent podcasts, say it again. I talked to a food company that owned a lot of their own. They owned an asset-based trucking company. And they said that one time something was supposed to deliver on a Friday, some food, frozen food. It didn't. They brought it back to the terminal, instructed the terminal, make sure this doesn't, this trailer doesn't get turned off because it has to stay frozen. Guys come in on Sunday night. They're like, hey, this looks like it's melting. Why isn't this turned on? So they turned it back on. And didn't say anything to anybody. Because you're kind of looking and going, yeah, I'm in this warehouse. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to go tell the boss, hey, I just blew $70,000 worth of food because I didn't turn it on like you told me to. Nope. I just plugged it back in. So what's nice is you'll be able to say, "Uh, uh-uh, I I saw that. (laughs) Or better
1: yet, you'll be able to tell them, hey, warning, Will Robinson, this thing is getting too warm. And that's where the chain of custody is so critical, right? Because then you can actually capture in the platform who got the notifications, who's who's seen them, and what actions they took. So if Will Robinson took an action to prevent something, that's captured in the platform. And then when you export that as a report, either into the insurance claims workflow, into the warranty workflows, whatever you use that for, that's all documented and centralized in one place.
0: Nice, nice. So again, I really like this because you say contextualize, I say, you can tell me when, where, how and why. (laughs) And it's, it's it's just really nice to have. So Ilya, please wrap this up for us. Put a bow on this bad boy.
1: Yeah, so I mean, $18 billion worth of visibility solutions and when I say visibility solutions I mean being able to track and trace being able to monitor conditions but nevertheless year after year losses keep going up up and up and up and up cargo loss ratios on the insurance side the percentage the the actual loss ratio keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse there's a disconnect somewhere right The solutions that are in place today that are intended to hopefully, in some case, on the one hand, improve operational efficiencies, which I think they are doing, but also, in the other case, minimize losses, it's not really working. And that's, in our view, that is because just this accumulation of of raw data or meaningless data or non-parcel level data, it doesn't bridge that gap that needs to be there, that needs to be bridged in order to fully contextualize the data and paint a holistic picture as to what's happening. And that's that's what we're aiming to do. Nice, nice. So tell us a little bit about what's
0: going on over at PackSafe. And by the way, you should spell PackSafe because
1: it is not spelled PackSafe. <laughs> Most people refer to it as PacSafi. And <laughs> I thought I was being, we thought, my my co-founder and I thought we were being real cute and witty by making this play on words, right? You're packing something safely. Yeah. We, think, how do you spell we, it? P-A-X-A-F-E. Uh, But most people don't get that. They get the French version, which is (laughs) Paxafi. But they're supposed to say safe." That's what they're supposed to say, yes. I'm glad you got it, though. (laughs) Right, so (laughs) not the first time. (laughs) So uh, tell us what's going on over your company. Yeah, so exciting times this year. We've been in closed beta pilots through the back end of last year. We've gotten several customer conversions. So they're actually adopting this commercially. We're closing a funding round literally in in seven days, bringing on more people, bringing on some great people to join the team. And from a product side, I mean, we're we're building something really great. I mentioned we're working on this prescription part to the engine. Prediction is, is one thing. And being able to predict route, being able to predict time of arrival, being able to predict adverse events, that's all great. But to what end? And that end, in our view, is being able to then prescribe, prescribe to the customers how to mitigate that risk, and then to the insurance companies how to price that risk or underwrite that risk. So I think that's really exciting. We're also launching a a SaaS-only part of the platform, which doesn't require the actual sensors or the hardware. And we've got a pretty impressive list of customers that are signed on to to go down that uh, particular feature as well. So I think it's going to be a a big year for us in terms of getting to product market fit and and starting to think about how we actually grow this into a a high growth business. Right. So do you sell mostly to shippers or do you sell mostly to 3PLs or carriers? Who's,
0: who's Who's your biggest customer right now?
1: Yeah. So when we say customer, I mean, at the end of the day, shippers are always the ones that are taking on the cost, whether it's directly or indirectly. But the majority, yes, the majority, like 80, 75, 80 percent of our customer base is shippers. And then we also work with some carriers, 3PLs and, and freight forwarders as well. Right. So when I take one of your sensors and let's just say I put it in a pallet of meat that has to stay a certain temperature. So I'm in the shipper. I put that.
0: It's just a little. How big is this sensor?
1: It's a little smaller than your average cell phone actually it's it's probably about sixty to seventy percent of this size, and that, but it's considerably lighter. so I put on that pallet
0: and then when it delivers, you ask that the receiver put it in a
1: package and ship it back, or do they hold them? How's that work as far as the returns? We've got a couple of different models, so in a number of cases, companies, especially enterprises shippers, they have sustainable reverse logistics processes already in place where they're either returning reusable packaging or pallets. So in those particular cases, it's very simple to get it back to, to point A. In other cases, in higher volume use cases, we actually cover the costs. So we do provide like a prepaid shipping label and either a box or an envelope to ship those back once or twice a week whatever makes the most sense. And then there's also the option, and we've got various models of how we price this, but there's also the option where they can ship it back to us. We can handle all of the recharging. You don't really have to recharge these all that often. The battery optimization is actually quite, quite good. But when you do have to recharge them, we can do all of that, and then we just ship them new units on a predetermined cadence. Right. So what are these, the average sensor cost? When you say cost, to the customer? Yeah, well,
0: yeah, if somebody was to throw that out, let me say that, like, if it got damaged or loss, is that going to be,
1: you know? Oh, we factored in loss rates, right, and loss ratios. So thus far, in all of the sensors that we've, we've launched into the field, we haven't lost any. There has been one that has been misplaced right? Can't you track it or is it the charge went out of it? (laughs) Well, that's the problem. The charge went, it it was on like a three, I I think a 70, 70, 82 day shipment from Ukraine to Texas. And it stayed quite a bit of time. It spent quite a bit of time at the port when it got in, it actually had to get rejected. It went back down to a different country and then came back in through a different port. So the point there is, it spent quite a bit of time in the supply chain and but our customer knows where it is. It's just a matter of retrieving it. We factored in like a five percent loss rate. That's what we assume we're going to lose. We don't charge customers anything when those get lost within that specific bound, and then if there are excessive losses beyond whatever that band is, at that point we we look to structure creative approaches to to try and find those, relocate those or replace those.
0: Well, the reason I asked what the price of the sensor is not that I particularly care. I want to know if I can do this for a sweater that I'm shipping, or is this only for really high value shipments?
1: Yeah, so what we're finding is our connected hardware platform targets basically three industries. One is perishables, and those perishables includes healthcare, pharma, clinical trials, flowers, and food. Uh, Two is valuables, and it's not just valuable from a price standpoint. It's also like, to your point, long lead time shipments like automotive or sensitive shipments that are sens- like electronics that are sensitive to damage, right? As well as like medical devices, jewelry. And then there's an oil and gas application in, in oil and gas. But for the most part, the connected hardware platform is fits into one of these three categories on the SaaS only application where we just offer the predictive routing, the time of arrival and some other value add there that can be used across the board with, with all shipments. Right. And I think you mentioned something I thought was interesting. So you said routing.
0: I was like routing, ETA, who cares, right? That, that On the 3PL side, we always have that, right? Or the carrier side, we have that. But what you said is, yeah, but that's not always what the shippers are looking at or the receivers are looking at. So you can give that to the receivers and the shippers and say, this is the route it took because you know that because you're tracking the stuff. And I think this is one more example of people don't care where their truck is, they care where their stuff is. So you're tracking
1: parcel level, pallet level, part level. Exactly. And I think the other point there is I think you're right. I think, you know, a lot of 3PLs carriers, they do provide time of arrival what we hear from the market is, yeah, we get this time of arrival, but the problem is it's it's always moving, <laughs> and it's it's never what it was at the beginning, right? That's the nature of it we're getting better at it, but it's it's a challenge. and then somebody
0: says, "Hey, they're ninety minutes from your house, Ilya." And you go, yeah, but if that means they're in the middle of Chicago, if you're Milwaukee, you're like, that's a nasty 90 minutes, right?
1: But if you live out in the country and it's you're like 90 minutes away, is that 90 miles or is it 110 miles, right? So that's exactly it, Joe. That's on this predictive time of arrival specifically. That's the deep learning model that we have in place where we actually look at traffic, we look at weather, we look at a lot you of can look at carrier history, right? A carrier history, exactly. We, we know what, what stops they're going to make. But that's the kind of information that we look at so that we can tell you from the start of the shipment, what time is it actually going to hit the dock without this whole fluctuation piece of, okay, it's not Google Maps, basically, right? It's it's we're going to tell you from the beginning. And right now, we've already got it up to, I think, uh, within like a, a two-hour window right across like 70% of shipments. And then it's like within four or five hours across virtually like 99.9%. So it's, it's fairly, fairly accurate. But the big thing there is of course, trying to minimize those dwell and detention and, and rebooking fees for the carriers. Right. So good stuff.
0: Good stuff. I think this is a product whose time has come. I mean, I know there's lots of sensors, but you know, we, Again, knowing the where and the when something happened, what something went wrong is good. but knowing like you said, the how and the why, you know that as you said, adding some context to the damage and the, also just to the shipment uh, history because even when we get past damage, people are still going to want to know where we, this was an extra day late. Why was it an extra day late? Well, because it sat here, right? This is the place it sat for too long. This is where the extra day was
1: acquired. Well, yeah, that, and it's like over time, looking at those patterns and, and correlations, right? Like knowing the processing time of a product going through Memphis distribution center versus the Indianapolis distribution center on on a Monday versus a Friday at two p.m. versus overnight, and using that as a part of your models. Oh, your yeah, models is. I saw an article about ELD data and it was
0: timeout. And I know none of us wanted this ELD when it hit, but when the ELD hit, one of the things they start saying is, we can tell where detentions are more frequent now. We can tell which shippers. So at a certain point, you're gonna have like a little Yelp review on every shipping location and it says, Hey, they don't unload you fast over there, and they're gonna you're gonna get pinged. You're gonna to have to pay more. So it's going to be interesting when you start to say, and nobody wants to deliver there because it's an extra, you go really slow in that metropolitan area. And then the shippers there are notorious or they were that shippers there or receivers are notorious for being slow.
1: The, exactly. The, the way that we like to think about our kind of the prediction part of what we do, as well as that that predictive routing and, and time of arrival is it's almost like a, a price line for, for shipments. Right. So you're you're getting all of this optimization data with regards to routing and, and carriers and lanes and that's really what it's intended to be. Up front you're getting some of the kind of the byproducts of yeah, you're getting accurate time of arrival or or you know what route something's gonna take. But the the end kinda the the meat, the meat and potatoes is the the actual intelligence and, and how you're able to use that to to further optimize your supply chain. Very
0: nice. Very nice. Well Ilya thank you so much for- for sharing all of this with us today. How do people reach out to you and the team
1: at PackSafe? Yeah, I'm available on on LinkedIn. My email, Ilya at packsafe.com. That's P-A-X-A-F-E.com. We've also like info at PackSafe, careers at PackSafe, whatever you want to reach at PackSafe, you'll be able to, to find us <laughs> one way or another. We're on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Please look us up and, and give us a follow Excellent. Excellent. So what I'll do is I'll put a
0: link to your company, your website in the show notes, and I'll also put a link to you on LinkedIn. Ilya, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank all of you for listening to the podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward.